Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Fistle Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. When I was growing up, thinking critically was important. I remember in elementary school, my teachers encouraged me to think about issues in many different ways, to develop my own opinion and to be able to articulate that opinion and defend it if need be. Growing up, my parents did the same thing. They encouraged me to constantly think for myself. Don't immediately believe the things people tell you. Do your own research. Find the facts yourself. In the army, was I trained to follow orders? Of of course. Of course I was. Did I learn the battle drills and field manuals? Yes. These manuals, especially field manuals for the infantry, taught you how to respond to almost every situation. React to ambushes near and far, deliberate attack, raids, cover and concealment. And of course, that information created a base of knowledge and laid the foundation for success. But under fire, I soon found out that if we were to survive, I had to think for myself outside the box. This was especially true when a mission was given to my platoon from command. I would bring in my subordinate leaders. I would look at the mission guidelines. I'd ask them for their feedback, what they thought, how to make it better. Then I would take this information to my commander and report to him. And sometimes this was tough because it meant me taking a stand and saying, sir, we can't do this because this mission exposes the men to an unnecessary level of risk or harm. Could get people killed. Now, look, I... I, I get it. In combat, there's that risk on every mission, but it's also our job as leaders to do everything we can to diminish that exposure and speak up when necessary. Sometimes that meant taking a stand. And did this irritate my commander sometimes? Absolutely. Yes. But I also know that he appreciated it because he knew that I was trying to bring my men back home alive. And in the end, he cultivated an environment 
where we could have those conversations in the first place, where I could disagree with him, with the mission. And even in the most austere situations in the world, in combat, in Afghanistan, having those tough conversations was possible. They make us better. They make us stronger. Over the last 60 years, to question the government felt about as American as apple pie. But today, things feel very, very different. Disagreeing with the prevailing government narrative and thinking for yourself is often frowned upon. Sometimes you're ignored, marginalized. Hell, sometimes you're even punished. Disagree with the way an election is conducted and you're labeled an election denier. Have questions about vaccine safety or potential alternative therapies. Conspiracy theorist. Over the last couple of years, thinking for yourself on issues like this and daring to express those opinions publicly could get you suspended on social media or even outright banned or worse, reprimanded or fired at work. In the most extreme of circumstances, you're almost digitally erased as a person. No banking privileges, no social media, no email hosting, no digital footprint whatsoever. So today, to think critically and have an opinion comes with great risk. And to me, that's why it's so important to rally around people who are unafraid to confront the prevailing narrative. Not only that, be unafraid to share your opinion in your daily lives, even if that means people disagreeing with you. That's part of your sacred right and freedom as an American. Don't discard it. Don't throw it away. Otherwise, we may find ourselves living in a country that we don't recognize, talking to our grandchildren about what it was once like to live in America when it was truly free. This is why I'm so excited to have Lisa Booth on Battleground today. She is fierce. She's a warrior. She's unafraid to speak her mind at the height of of the COVID insanity, the lockdowns and the masking and the vaccine mandates. She was one of a few people in America speaking up publicly. She was attacked relentlessly, but Lisa held her ground. And since that time, much of what she said has come to fruition. You've seen her all over Fox News. She's a Fox News contributor. She's the host of a great podcast herself called The Truth. So I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Lisa. She's incredible. She's smart. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to this YouTube channel for Battleground or wherever you listen to podcasts. Battleground is a show for you. It's a show that cuts through the BS. It's beholden to no one. It's a show that is dedicated to saving our exceptional nation. So without further delay, ladies and gentlemen, Lisa Booth. Hey, Lisa. Thank you for <laughs> thanks for joining Battleground uh, today. Is I'm super excited about having you on the show, uh, Lisa. Of course, you are a, a Fox News contributor, and I saw you hosting Fox and Friends recently. And you're the host of a an incredible podcast called The Truth. Um, and I'm thankful and grateful for the time that you've given us today. Welcome. Well, thank you, and, and I've had you on my podcast, which uh, you were so awesome. And it's so. And I think what you'll discover with the podcast is. When you're done talking to someone, it's kind of like stepbrothers where you're like, did we just become best friends? You know, <laughs> you kind of, you, you sort of get a sense of, you know, the person and you kind of feel like you've sort of built this camaraderie and like friendship with someone. So it's pretty cool. Well, I like it just because, you know, having gone on Fox and uh, a lot of other media companies, just like you just doing media for 10 years now, 
you get more than than just the soundbite, you know. And and I like going a little bit deeper on the issues, especially with warriors like you who are unafraid of controversy. And speaking of which, <laughs> speaking of which, you jumped headlong into controversy at the height of World Cup frenzy with a tweet <laughs> saying that something like, you know, I don't know if this is the best timing, but I really don't like soccer. And then of well, course okay. the conversation yeah. started. Well, so, okay, so backstory is that I just co-hosted in New York for Fox and for, or if not for Fox and Friends, for the big show, the 5 p.m. show on Saturday and Sunday. My flight was delayed. So I was supposed to leave at 8.30 and I didn't, like, it, we didn't even take off till 10. So I'm like, what do I do? So I went and, like, had a glass of wine. I'm just, like, sitting there and I'm seeing all these videos on Instagram and all these people pretending like they like soccer, and so I'm thinking, I'm like, I really don't like all these people. You never see their Instagram with anything of soccer. And then I know it's the World Cup, whatever. But then everyone tries to pretend like they love soccer. And so I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, do people actually like it? Or are they just like <laughs> want to be part of like, you know what I mean? Like they just want to be in and be part of this broader thing. So I was like, screw it. I'm going in. And so I just tweeted. And I was like, you know. I don't really like soccer. I'm sorry. Like maybe not the best timing, but yeah. I, I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to pretend, Sean. This this yeah. this is this is what I like about you. And is is like here's the thing about soccer. Like so both of my boys played soccer when they were little and I like watching them play when they were small because I like watching my my kids excel at things that they care about, right? But what drives me crazy about World Cup soccer is sort of like the soccer virtue signaling that that I think if you logged onto Facebook or onto Twitter or onto Instagram, you saw people talking about the World Cup, but I half wondered, did they do they really know anything about soccer or are they just bandwagon World Cup fans? Number one. Well, and, uh, and, yeah. and number two, I can't stand all the faking. It's like every time you turn around, a soccer player is falling to the ground and grabbing their shin and trying to get a penalty to have the other player yellow carded or red carded or kicked out of the game like. I don't like that. I can't stand that. And so, and by the way, if a game ends in zero zero and I've been watching for three hours, I kind of feel like my time has been a little bit wasted. Well, and like I played soccer growing up. I played competitively. I was in travel soccer. I, I played a bunch of sports growing up. I had three brothers. So I kind of was quasi tomboy and, you know, love to play sports and get, you know, don't mind getting dirty and like rolling around the mud or whatever. But, uh, but I always had a bow in my hair and like a pink or purple dress. So weird <laughs> mixture of things. <laughs> and in today's society, like, you know, they, the schools would be telling me I'm, I'm a boy or something. But, uh, you know, anyways, so the point about soccer. Yeah, totally. It's like, I don't think that most of these people even like it. And I don't enjoy watching it, to be perfectly honest. And it's also just sort of blank. You're just like running up and down the soccer field. I don't know. I like football. Like people are getting tackled. Even like lacrosse, which I played, I feel like you get, you know, beat up a little bit more. It just sort of seems like maybe a fragile sport. I, I was just going to ask you about that because so much of of who you've become publicly is this sort of, you know, national media figure and, and now podcaster, as I mentioned earlier on in the show. But you're an athlete. You played lacrosse. How did you get into that? How did you sort of choose jumping into lacrosse? Because right now, like, like I've got a, a blended fam family and I've got three daughters. And I think because they're all trying to figure out and navigate their way through life and try to figure out what sports or extracurriculars they're going to they're going to play. And I and I always sort of sort of I've gently suggested lacrosse because I think it's a great sport. And I, I played ice hockey my, my whole life. So it, it's sort of similar to ice hockey in a lot of ways. But I wanted to ask you about that. 
how did you how did you get into lacrosse in the first place? Well, so funny story. When I first like my parents first had me play sports when I was like a teeny tater tot, and like for whatever reason. I would be like more interested in my hair and like, you know, I'd go up to the sidelines. My dad would be like recording. I'm like, how's my point? You know what I mean? And then for whatever reason, it just like clicked in me and I became like an animal out there and like sports. I don't know. I don't know why. Like, I don't know what like happened or like what triggered it. And then I was like the one, you know, trying to like score goals and like, you know, just being super aggressive. And then like they put me like I had to play with boys and like gym school because I like wanted to like actually win and like, you know, got really competitive with it and stuff. But I think one thing that was cool that my parents did um, was that they just had us try everything. Like they had us try ballet or not, you know, I have three brothers, but they had me try to, you know, ballet, dance, soccer, you know, lacrosse. So they just had us try everything to figure out what we liked. And so I think that's really cool that they did that. And some way along the lines, I think it was, I don't think I played, I didn't play lacrosse until um, high school or no, was that, uh, what did I, yeah, I don't think I started playing lacrosse till high school, to be honest. Hmm. I'm trying to think back or was it in middle school? Anyways, I didn't start playing it till later um, and it just clicked for me. I don't know. I just really enjoyed it. Um, and I also played field hockey in high school, um, played basketball briefly and then I was just too short. So, <laughs> well, I mean, work. <laughs> I just think, I think it's, so that, that competition, that intensity, um, I mean, clearly that's shaped part of who you've become in, in public life, because as I've watched you sort of grow, uh, in your platform and in, in your public platform, you don't shy away from hot button issues. You don't shy away from a fight. And that's something that I've admired about you since the very beginning, since you sort of jumped onto the scene. Do you think that playing sports growing up, specifically something like the cross and, and a sport like field hockey, do you think that that's part of the reason why you are who you are in the political arena? Yeah, I mean, I think to agree, you know, all these things I think kind of shape who we are, right? Like I also grew up with three brothers. I grew up with parents who allowed me to question authority and question things and sort of encourage that sort of behavior of me wanting to get to the bottom of things or asking questions or challenging me or debating me. And so I sort of, I think, grew up in like a kind of competitive environment or, you know, getting beat up on my older front you know, <laughs> kind of makes you, you know, tough, right? And then not to be afraid to be in the arena. And then, you know, on top of all that, I mean, Sean, we just live in the craziest of times. And I, I think for me, something so really true. kicked in during Kavanaugh and just seeing this innocent guy slandered. And ever since then, I, I think there's just been something that has kind of been awakened in me. And then with COVID as well, of just seeing, uh, seeing so much things that are wrong and, and feeling like it's our duty and obligation to speak out and speak up. I, I agree. And I, I think that I sort of was raised the same way, Lisa, because, you know, to, to question authority and, and, and in school, Certainly in elementary school and in high school, you know, I wasn't always the best student in the world, but something that I took away from schooling, because um, I went, I ended up going to Catholic school and then I got my undergrad from a Catholic university is one of the things that I feel like they did a pretty good job instilling in me was the idea of thinking critically and, and developing, like looking at a set of facts and developing your own opinions and thinking about those things in a critical way. And I feel like in today's day and age, you talk about living 
in in crazy times. Like I, I from Western Pennsylvania, born and raised here from from Pittsburgh. Like I grew up listening to this radio show. It even played on the elementary school bus uh, when I went to school, and I would listen to these to these radio hosts. They were like sort of comedians. They were rebels. They they were braided into pop culture. They were funny and. I grew up sort of admiring them on the radio. You know, they, they did impressions. They were great. And so I'm li- I started listening to them recently, today, uh, over the last month. And I, like these people who I thought were rebels are now towing the line and just regurgitating government propaganda. Like, for example, like they go from making me laugh hysterically to, well, look, like if you're going to travel over the Christmas holiday You better wear a mask. You know, it's not tough, people. Just show people that you care about others. You know, just show people that you care. And I thought to myself, how the hell is this where these hosts are? Are they just in a bubble? And then like a couple days later, you see Gene Simmons comes out and he said, kiss the the a member of kiss. Probably the most famous member of kiss is out there talking about, you know what? You don't have as many freedoms as you thought as Americans. Just get the vax. And I'm thinking, like, how how have these people built their public platform being rebels and saying, screw the government? People that probably protested the Vietnam War, right? If the government told you to eat white bread, they were eating wheat bread just to say F you to the government. But now they're towing the line with what these government agencies say and just spewing government propaganda and and they act as if still today that they're the rebels but are you really can you really be a rebel if you have big pharma on your side or big tech on your side or all of academia on your side or all of the entertainment industry on your side or your political party holds all the levers of power in Washington like i got news for you you're not a rebel anymore and the real rebels are people like you who are willing to to look at facts and take a stand. And no matter how many people attack you and come at you for taking those stands, you hold firm in your belief system. Well, it's like even Howard Stern. I mean, he used to be kind of a rebel, right? He hid, <laughs> yeah. in, his, he hid in his basement for two years. And I think recently like went to the restaurant or restaurant for the first time. And it's just like, I think that's actually the scariest thing about all of this, Sean, is just how many people lack the ability to critically think. But I I think it's intentional because even if you look at the stuff that's happening in these schools, we're really seeing like the dumbing down of America. And, you know, and I think social media sort of reinforces this too, like this collective group think. And so people aren't really learning how to critically think, which, I mean, what does that mean for the future of the country, right? I mean, if we have a bunch of followers and we have a bunch of weak-minded people who all think they're victims and somehow they should be handed something and life should be easy and they're so aggrieved even though they've lived, you know, these perfect lives, it's like, what does that mean for the success of America? I Yeah, I I, I, I agree completely. And when you look at, you know, the, the Twitter files, right, <laughs> in, in, you know, Elon Musk and his takeover of Twitter and the sort of slow rolling of all of this information about Twitter colluding with the FBI to censor Americans in the lead up to the 2020 election. And what it looks like happened was the FBI paying Twitter with American taxpayer dollars to then have Twitter turn around and censor Americans. And what it does is create 
you know, in people like me who were just starting out, a, 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 you know, a podcast, like, like looking at the YouTube rules and regulations for the things I'm allowed to talk about and the things that I'm not allowed to talk about. And, and I think to myself, how the hell are we here at this point in time in America where we can't talk about certain things without being banned, censored, deplatformed, whatever? Uh, you talked about living at crazy times. I also think that everything that we hold dear, Lisa, is just so th- balanced on a knife's edge right now to where well, – yeah. No, go, go ahead. Go ahead. No, it's well, I think that's why I was so passionate during COVID speaking up out of all of this, because I was thinking to myself, are we still a free country when you've got the government telling you, you you can't leave your house, you can't go to church, you can't worship, like only certain people are allowed to exercise their First Amendment rights. You know, if you want to go riot in the streets in the name of, you know, George Floyd, that's fine. But you want to go to church, like, God forbid, stay home, right? And then also just trying to force people to get a vaccine that now we know is not even safe. Uh, you know, the, the entire time I was just thinking to myself, like, are we still even a free country? And and what are we becoming, right? And so I, I think that to me was the biggest driver of wanting to speak out and all of it. And then also just really early on in it, you know, I read an op-ed from Dr. John E. Needies of Stanford. Uh, he's a world-renowned epidemiologist who is known for debunking bad research. And at the very beginning, he was like, basically, COVID is not as deadly as we think it is. And we're making all these terrible decisions based off of faulty data. And I I used to be a vice president of a polling firm. So I I like data. It it interests me. And so reading his column uh, from that, he sort of just completely changed my mindset from then on of realizing that essentially everything we were being told was a lie. Um, And then even looking at vaccines, the government has spent so much money paying all these entities, whether it's the media or whatever, to push the vaccine and to tell us that it's safe uh, and no one has questioned it. So I think people are pretty fair to not really believe much of what we're told these days at all. Yeah. And I think people like Fauci have done such incredible damage to institutions that were once trusted in America, like the NIH and the CDC. And come to find out that Fauci not only has he been spewing information that was just flat out wrong, because if you remember at the beginning of this thing, there were emails that leaked from Dr. Fauci saying that, oh, you know, masks like they they really aren't that effective to now like what, like a week later saying that everybody should wear their mask, you know, even little things like that. Him saying those things have caused such tremendous damage to like I like I said institutions that were once valued and trusted in this country and you look at what the New York Times is even doing now like with you've seen the buzzword now the New York Times C, uh, CBS ABC NBC the triple demic so just as we're we're coming out of of covid and it looks like the craziness is over we seem to be sort of backsliding into where we were a year ago, where the triple demic now they're they're pushing RSV, the flu, which is of course taking a vacation for two years, and now COVID pushing this. And if you look at even in Philadelphia, Lisa, where Philadelphia schools have preemptively gone back to universal masking for children, despite all of the evidence to the contrary about. The, the social, the detrimental social effects of masking on speech development and cognition and, and barriers to learning for small children in school. Philadelphia schools, in the face of all the empirical evidence to the contrary, have forced masks 
back on children going to school, despite the fact that Philadelphia Eagles are playing football games there every Sunday with 60,000 people there without a mask. It absolutely makes no sense. And people like Fauci and these bureaucrats who forced this fear porn on Americans, you know, my hope is that when Republicans take control of of the House in January, that there'll be hearings, that people will be held accountable. And and where are you on that? Do you, do you have any faith that the new Republican majority in the House will follow through with those promises? I think they'll investigate, but then, you know, what recourse is going to happen? What actual punishment will happen, right? Because we don't have the Department of Justice, and we know that Mayor Garland is not going to give us the assists like he's given the January 6th committee and enforcing, you know what I mean? So it's like, I don't think anything's necessarily going to happen, which is sad. But, you know, if you really look at it, even though none of this makes sense, if you're uh, a critical thinker and you actually care about what the data shows and, and, you know, the underlying reasons behind all this, the objective is control. You know, and and if you look at the left, it's with climate change or with COVID, it's somehow the solution is giving up your freedom, right? Like the the government is somehow going to keep us safe in the name of us giving up our freedom. But then part of me also thinks, you know, like, have we ever really been able to trust any of these agencies, to be perfectly honest? Like there's this quote from Ron Paul in, I think, 1988, talking about how basically the FBI was just a domestic, uh, you know, spying, right? Like the, the whole point of the FBI so true. was just to spy on us and, and people who disagree with the government, both on domestic and foreign policy. And then he was talking about how Woodrow Wilson used the FBI to spy on Americans during the First World War and arrest people. And then you can go back to, I think, 1917, which the Espionage Act uh, was passed. And that was the first domestic uh, surveillance, nationwide surveillance uh, law that allowed for wiretapping as well. So, I mean, part of me kind of thinks like, are we just finding out more? And like, really, have we ever been able to trust our own government? Or really, have we ever been as free as we have thought we have? Is it really just sort of an illusion, like this manufactured illusion? So, you know, I don't know if that's like too whatever, but like, you know, these are just some of the things I've really been thinking about recently. Well, that's like, look, in the 1960s for the Vietnam War, I mentioned it earlier, but that's, the pro the anti-war protests were born out of people not trusting the government. And look, I'm with you. I'm with you completely. Like at what point, at what point in the last 50 or 60 years, right? Maybe it happened recently, Lisa, but at what point did it become cool a mainstream position to trust the government? I don't know. I mean, I had more, I I admittedly had more faith until, you know, recently, and then COVID just completely eroded. I mean, you know, you saw under Obama how he used uh, the government to spy on, well, one, Trump, right, with the FBI and the DOJ heading into the 2016 election, but even before that, spying on reporters, spying on the Senate Intelligence Committee. So I, I think the Obama years really eroded my trust in government, and then it's just gotten exponentially worse, or at least what we know, right? I'm sure if you do a thorough look back, as we just had some discussion, probably should have never been able to, you know, never really trusted the government. <laughs> right. What's really, well, like what's really crazy too, if you think about the 2016 stuff, right? Like all we heard was Russia, 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 Russia's trying to steal the election. And what it turns out to be is obviously a manufactured hit job from the FBI, the DOJ and the left totally. on Trump. Also though, and more importantly, what we're finding out now is a pretext to surveil and spy on Americans and then also to use that to rig future elections 
as they did with the FBI going to Twitter and Facebook and being like, hey, we have to be really concerned about Russia. Give us all this authority and all this power that we don't deserve to have. Let us violate Americans' First Amendment rights in the name of somehow protecting us against something that never happened that was completely manufactured by the government in the first place. So, uh, you know, kind of wild. Yeah, it, it really is kind of wild. And just think about this week alone, Lisa, and, and the things that have come to light, right? The FBI colluding with Twitter, right? And using American taxpayer dollars to both censor wrong think, uh, censor Americans, uh, and completely kill the Hunter Biden laptop story, which if you look, there, there's polling out there that says that that, that story might have changed some minds uh, in in the 2020 election. Um, the other thing that came to light was the the DOJ spying on the Nunez staffers as they tried to expose what eventually became known as the Russia hoax. And Tucker Carlson did a segment that basically said the CIA may have played or very likely pay, played a role in the JFK assassination, yet our media, our legacy media is more concerned with writing stories about Aaron Rupar, a, a, a fake journalist being temporarily suspended from Twitter. Like, how how is this? How is this the world that we live in today? I don't somehow like everyone has got I don't know if it's the schools or, or what it, it is, but like everyone is so programmed to not challenge and, and question authority anymore and to not think critically. And I, I think like this is the one thing that really worries me a lot is, look, the First Amendment was the first for a reason. Right. You look at communist nations, authoritarian nations. What they do is when they take over, they control the media so that they can push propaganda and that they're unchallenged. And they also control and censor the Internet. And, you know, you look at what's happening in America right now and like, how is our media really that much different, right? When do they actually challenge authority or challenge the left? They're essentially a propaganda machine. I mean, they're not really, it's not like they're exposing daylight or trying to reach any sort of transparency with the exception of, you know, Fox and some of these other places. Uh, but by and large, they don't care. And then you look at the censorship of the internet with, during COVID especially, or even with the Hunter Biden story, of going in and, and literally disallowing the sharing of a story, taking down the New York Post mm -hmm. from Twitter. And it's like, you know, I mean, it's just, are we really that free? Or, you know, are we as free as we, we you know, thought we have been? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't think so. I mean, I, I agree. I agree. It's, it's unbelievably concerning. And when you look at, you know, just the Republicans, Lisa, Republicans over the last 30 or 40 years made just some critical mistakes. Now, of course, we've we've always been the party of low taxes and small government. But I think Republicans where they made where they failed was tackling the culture, you know, getting involved in the cultural fight. I, I feel like our party or the Republican Party has ceded academia to the left, entertainment to the left. Um uh, even to a certain extent, now we're seeing politics bleed into religion. Um, we disengaged on all those fronts. And to your point about like schools being basically mini indoctrination camps for the state, like at what point, how, how do we get out of this? 
Well, and then on the religious front, I mean, we just had 12 senators uh, basically uh, stick it to, you know, religious Americans Ugh. with the Respect for Marriage Act. And whatever you think about it, they did not do religious freedoms in the law. And so essentially what it's going to do is, you know, biblical organizations that believe in what the Bible teaches, that, that believe that a marriage is between a man and a woman, they're going to face the crosshairs of the government, lawsuits. And the list goes on. And I, and I think as we continue to see the demise of religion and America is only going to increase those threats uh, directed at, you know, Christians and people of faith in America. And so it's really this. And then also probably aligns with how chaotic the world has gotten and how evil the world has gotten as we see less and less. Like, I think Gen Z is like the least religious, uh, you know, group in, in history. Right. And so like the more that happens, the worse off we're going to be as a society because you have less and less people with any sort of anchor holding them down, teaching them wrong versus right or instilling some level of morals and, you know, right versus wrong. And so I think that's probably like one of the biggest ones. But in, in regard to Republicans, we just have too much cowardice, Sean. I think that's the biggest problem. Like they just need to grow a pair. You know, it's like it, it's not pretty, right? Like fighting is not easy. You get attacked. If people you love turn their backs on you, like friends are going to turn their, you know, it's not always fun, uh, but like it has to be done. And you, and I think too many people want to be invited to like the country club or, you it's know, true. invited to the cocktail party or invited to like the Christmas parties. And so they'll sell out for acceptance. That's you know? exactly, like, I totally yeah. agree with you. And I think if you're, someone that's watching or, or listening to this podcast and you're a conservative that's thinking about running for office, you have to know going into it that the media is going to come after you. They're going to lie about you. You will never, you will never truly be ingratiated into their clique. Um, cause even the Republicans that sort of fake it to make it and the Republicans that are like on the view, right. As a co-host on the view, most of the time, like they're not real Republicans, right? They're just playing a role. And you got to go into the fight with a helmet on expecting to not be friends with the media because there's there's no ingratiating yourself to them. I, and and because I think Republicans have disengaged on the culture war for so long and they're reticent to to really fight you know, because they don't want to earn the wrath of, of the media or be attacked uh, from the left. Uh, we're watching our country slip away. And and I think I'm not the only one that thinks that. I think that there are millions of Americans who are wondering where their country has gone. And well, yeah, how do so. So go ahead. I don't want. I don't want to. Or no, I was gonna say I actually did interview for the view, but um, I wouldn't. Get I that know I was gonna ask so you about that. Blew up the whole thing. <laughs> but, but you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, the way I look at it is that, um, wait, wait, before I, you go on, before you got it, you got to tell me, cause I was going to ask you about this. Like you, you interviewed, like when you, when you took the stand on the vaccine, uh, Lisa, you took some shots from people. You didn't actually take the shot, but you took shots, political shots from, from people, some of whom were Republicans and that cost you. I mean, you, you, you interviewed for the view and by the way, like you would have been, you would have been perfect for that show because the conservative host who goes on to a show like the view, you got to know, like you're going in there against what four other women, liberals on the show, liberal audience, lib liberal makeup, people, liberal producers, like you're going into the lion's den and you're going to have to lock horns and engage. And, 
what I've seen sort of happen with some of these conservative hosts on The View is they go in there and they get beholden to like group think where they want to ingratiate themselves with the crowd. So they find they they find themselves compromising on things that they probably wouldn't have compromised on prior to going in to that show. But you would have been perfect because I I think that you are. Both in your your stand with the vaccine, which, by the way, I think in many ways you've been vindicated, not that you were ever indicted in the first place, but like you've been vindicated in a lot of the stances that you've taken. You would have been perfect for that show. It's a long way of me saying, like, I don't think you would be beholden to any sort of group think and you've been great. But ultimately well, what think, happened? What, what did they turn you down because you, you didn't get that you weren't going to get the vaccine? Is that what happened? Yeah, well, I'd already taken the stance on the vaccine. And then that kind of came down to it of, oh, to be on set, you know, you've got to be vaccinated. And so I'm like, I'm not going to be a sellout, right? Like if I take a stance on something, it is what I mean. I mean it with like my whole heart. And so I'm not going to be like the second something shiny opportunity comes along. I just like abandon my beliefs for it. Right. So then that just kind of you know, blew that up. But I actually think I, I would have enjoyed it just because I like to fight. And, you know, I'm not kind of afraid of the fight. So I, I think it actually would have been uh, fun. But, you know, I I think the hardest part about the COVID stuff was um, realizing that some friends and, and people that you previously thought loved you, uh, you know, didn't. Right. And so I think it for a lot of people, it really sort of exposed uh, maybe fair weather friends and people in your life that aren't really truly in it for the right reasons. Um, but I feel like I'm really fortunate because the way my parents raised me was really just to stand in my own beliefs and to not sort of be afraid of, to not want to have to fit in with everyone else, to, to really like know who I am, know what I believe and like be rooted in that and sort of be unafraid to, you know, like I, I tr- like I always joke around, like I feel like I could be in a house full of like a hundred people and I'm the only person saying something and not a soul agrees with me. And I would still be like, you know what? Screw you. This is what I believe. <laughs> you know, like, I, I'm not changing my opinion. So, you know, I guess, I guess I'll leave, but you know, like I, I would still, you know, stand firm in what I believe. So when you say your parents, I mean, obviously you said you're, you've got what three brothers you said, and you said yeah. your parents raised you like, where does that strength or that stubbornness come from? Well, my parents are like deeply, deeply religious. And so they instilled that in me and like belief in God and, and faith and, and also just, uh, yeah. So I think from that, like my parents just really know who they are and they really stand firm in, in their beliefs. And so I think they passed that down to me of just, you know, not wanting sort of cultural acceptance or, or not really needing everyone else to agree with me. And, and I feel like that's a really important thing for where we are now in the country, because especially with like social media and so much of this, I think that's really like the burden of younger generations, which really worries me. And I think why Gen Z seems to be so messed up in so many mm-hmm. ways and like TikTok and all these different things is just, I, I think the desire and the need for acceptance, particularly when, you know, you talk about Gen Z with a lack of religion and a lack of these other things too, like a really broken generation that's really susceptible to sort of outside things being forced upon them. And so I, I think that is really like the Gen Z coming up is really concerning to me. Me too. Um, I mean, especially you talk about TikTok and basically, I mean, you know, outside aside, the national security issues aside, I mean, it's basically Chinese spyware where they have not just access to, you know, you on the app, but your keystrokes, your passwords, your phone, um, China basically the the Chinese Communist Party basically knows the movements of these these kids and what they're doing and and all that data is in the hands of the CCP which is I think our greatest geopolitical foe um 
But there's something to this sort of TikTok movement that that wasn't there when you and I came up. And that that, that was the sort of dancing and the inherent sort of narcissism that it that comes with that as well, that 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 can be like almost too much focus on oneself while everything else falls apart around them, you know? Uh, that's concerning as well. Well, and I think like to your, your point, obviously, you know, TikTok is a Trojan horse for China to spy on people, collect data to probably, but I think even more importantly, or like we know that, but I think even more importantly, a brainwashing tool, you know, because yeah. if, if you want to destroy like an entire generation of Americans, would you be doing anything different than what China has been doing with TikTok? And the fact that you see the rise of transgenderism, the rise of uh, you know, teenagers who are going to take puberty blockers, castrate themselves, aren't going to be able to have kids in the future as we see like declining birth rates, right? Or, um, you know, I, I think just in the, we see an increase of suicide among young people as well. I think it's something like 15 to 24 year olds is up by 51% over the past decade. And I don't, and that wasn't a study that was directly correlated to TikTok. I'm just sort of putting the two together. But like point being is it's brainwashing young people and I think destroying their minds. And we know that it's a Chinese company. So, you know, put two and two together, right? Yeah. I mean, do you think that, do you think that we are experiencing, you know, some sort of cultural decay here in this country? Yeah, hundred percent. And look, like I, I'm not a perfect person by any stretch of the imagination, you know, but like, I, I just, there seems to be a lack of understanding between wrong versus right. And I, and I feel like even like, it seems like back in the day, even though there was obviously disagreement among politics and what have you, and obviously differences of opinion and, but like, there seemed to have at least been more uh, clear lines between what is right as a society and what is wrong as a society. And to me, it just seems like it's all gray area now. Right. And like, there isn't this wrong versus right. And I think like the, you know, drag queen with the kids and the transgender stuff really illuminates that. And then even forcing vaccines on children, it's like, yeah, what are we doing? Crazy. Yeah. Or like abortion, supporting abortion up until the moment of birth now. And it's like, I just like, do we have any regard for like protecting children or is there, do, are there any blurred line? I mean, or, or is there any like, black and white anymore or is it all I'm, just this gray I mean, look, territory yeah you're talking about i think you know and what was sort of born out of academia the whole concept of moral relativism uh for a long time it was you know a leftist ideology that looked outside of america that sort of you know hey look like specifically within the context of my life would look at say afghan culture and stoning women to death and you know, exploiting children and, and doing terrible things. They just say, oh, you know, like, that's just their culture. Like, hey, look, we're not any better than them. That's just their life. That's their culture. And th so I feel like that 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 sort of concept of moral relativism has sort of eroded that line between what is clearly wrong and what is clearly right. And I think you see that even reflected in our entertainment for our children, right? If you look, just look at Disney as a perfect example. Like, do you ever, do you ever watch Disney films growing up, Lisa? I did. Yeah, I watched, I wanted it. My dad used to tell me uh, princess stories before I went to bed <laughs> when I was, <laughs> and they were yeah, strangely so all like, you know, Disney, like 
just different iterations of these Disney stories. So now I, I know, now I know where the field hockey player that wears a purple dress with a bow in her hair comes from. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, so the Disney stuff. So you watch it. You watch it, Sean. Yeah. <laughs> I won't pretend to, to know how complicated it really is, but so the Disney stuff, right? So if you watch the Lion King, like, you know, I talked to my kids about who the bad guy in the Lion King was, it would be Scar. If you watch something like The Little Mermaid, who is the bad? Who who is the the villain in the in the Little Mermaid? It was Ursula. Um, the the line between good and bad was always very clearly defined in those films, right? And those films really, I mean, look, we're talking about them now. And I'm forty one years old. I, I remember these films. They they shaped part of who I who I have become. Um, but you watch, say, a film like Finding Nemo. Like who? And by the way, it's a good it's a good movie. But who's the bad guy in that? Who's the villain in that? There is no villain in that. The villain is sort of the journey, right? And the things that Nemo's father and Nemo have to overcome along the way. I don't know how we got to talking about an in depth analysis <laughs> of Disney films. But my point is, is that like so much of you, you you learn the lines. Children learn what's like what's good and what's bad through entertainment. And now even even that has been politicized you know when you look at the thing like how committed disney has become to this woke garbage and i think you see that reflected in their stock prices i think if you invested in disney four years ago you've now lost money in the company right they've lost and so i yeah i'm worried about the next generation as well because if you can't clearly define what is good and what is bad what is right and what is wrong then where the hell do you go as, 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 a, as a country, not just as, as a person, but as a country. When I credit, uh, you know, Governor DeSantis with that fight of taking <laughs> on Disney, uh, you know, I, I have, I'm a Floridian. I moved down here during COVID. And so, you know, I love Governor DeSantis. I just think he's brilliant. He's a warrior and he's a smart warrior and he's an effective warrior and taking on I Disney agree. was one of those. But, you know, and it's even just like this idea, like I think there was this school, we were talking about it over the weekend um, at the school in New York where the students were like taking over and trying to occupy the school, like demanding A's and like, you know, it's just like, yeah. we, it's, but we just like live in a society where like there's no consequence, there's no wrong versus right, everything should be handed to you, you shouldn't have to work for anything. And so it's like, where does all this head, like are, are, we're going to have a, a military that is going to lose a war, we're going to have surgeons who can't actually, you know, perform surgery, like pilots who can't fly, right? Because at some point, like there has to be a sifting through society, there has to be a wrong versus right, there has to be accountability, there has to be standards, like things cannot just be easy for everyone. Otherwise, you'll have a failing, faltering society. And so in addition to like the moral decay, and then too, like you even see erosion of the work ethic during COVID, where the government was basically Correct. like, we're going to pay you to stay home and completely changed our work culture, I think really feeding into a lot of this other stuff we're talking about. And so it's just like, you know, how long can a society be strong uh, with all these different circumstances at the heart of it? Well, and then you add to that, like all of the sort of cultural decay and the sort of straying from good versus evil, wrong versus right. But then the people who occupy positions of power in this country, like the White House press secretary yesterday, like I, I, it boggles the mind when she says things that are just straight up brazen lies as if she's gaslighting all of America, where she says something like, well, to say that the border is open is it's not necessarily that, that's not factually true. And I think like, well, hold on just a damn second. 
Yes, it is factually true. Talk to any border, talk to any border patrol agent on the southern border. They will tell you that our border is wide open. And along with, you know, illegal immigration, and I think a lot of times Republicans get caught up like the, the left has done a pretty good job at, at forcing Republicans in this weird space to where they conflate illegal immigration with 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 legal immigration. And of course, like Republicans We're for legal immigration. We're the most generous country on the face of the planet where we allow two million legal immigrants in this country a year. Show me another country on the face of the planet that does that. It does not happen. But what's happening at our southern border is a crisis of humanity. It, it, It is, you know, women and children are being exploited. Drug cartels are being empowered. Fentanyl that that is being manufactured in China or or even the cartels in Mexico is flooding across our border. We're seeing it in in candy form, which to me, I mean, that it's it borders. It borders like as an to me, it's almost like an attack on our country. They're deliberately targeting children with a deadly drug. And the Biden administration response to that when when journalists try to hold them accountable and speak truth to power, which is rare. Uh, in this day and age, the Biden response to that is a wholesale lie. Like well, the border's not open. Like, are you kidding me? Well, there's like, well, that's the whole point of like when I name my podcast, the truth of Lisa Booth. I mean, like it rhymes, but also I like, know it has. I was just yeah, going to say, like, was so, that so, deliberate? Yeah, like, <laughs> the truth with Lisa Booth? Yeah, well, it was, it was born out of COVID and like wanting to get to the truth of all this because we do live in an environment with, you know, lies, right? And like even worse within the lies with the Biden administration, it's the intention behind what they have done. I mean, the chaos of the border is with intention. I mean, it is the policies of this administration to create that chaos at the southern border. Like when Joe Biden first took office, he called the deportations right. for 100 days. He got rid of Remain in Mexico. The DHS secretary said that it's not grounds for deportation to cross into the country illegally. So this is what they want. And I think with chaos comes opportunity. And, you you know, you look at a lot of the things that are going on in the country, I I think it's to, you know, push in the direction of more, you know, control. If you look at things like on the energy policy, uh, you know, basically moving us away from being energy independent, makes people more poor, more dependent on the government. So, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think there's sort of this intentional chaos that is happening under the Biden administration. Uh, yeah, I and think that, I might have gotten more sinister over the years. With, since no, no doubt. And, and, and that intentional <laughs> chaos is not just happening within our own borders. I mean, you see what what's happening in Ukraine. Did you did you see that that sort of video that showed you know one dot equals a hundred thousand of American taxpayer dollars going to fund Ukraine, both from military standpoint government relief, humanitarian aid, we're talking like to the tune of like over a hundred billion dollars to Ukraine. And we don't know where that money's going, how it's being spent. Uh, and, you know, watched a 60 minute segment, which I don't often do, but it came on after football and I was watching it. And, it, you know, clearly the segment was meant to sway public sentiment in support of the war in Ukraine. And and it was about children caught in the middle and having been in combat myself and seeing children caught in the middle. That is the worst part of the fight hands down. But to, to like, I see that. And I, and I, I look around my computer, my, my community and like in a place like Kensington, Philadelphia, like where if you walk down the streets there, it looks like you're walking 
in an episode of of like The Walking Dead. It looks like an apocalyptic society. Like we have people who are suffering here that need it. We, we need to invest, I think, in our own communities. And I think the American people like why? Why? Why are why is this administration and why is the media trying to force this Ukraine narrative on the people here, Lisa? Like, what's your take on that? I don't know. I just I just obviously have questions with, you know, one, we keep giving money yet they can't track, uh, you know, some of the weapons can't track and tell us how the money is being spent. You also have the fact that the Biden family has made money off of Ukraine in the past. Exactly. so where is this money going? And then also, what's the end objective? Like, what do we actually think is going to happen? What's the plan? I, it doesn't seem like Ukraine's going to be able to expel Russia entirely from the country. So then what's, how does this end? And it, can we reach that solution now instead of continuing to allow human suffering? And then I think Zelensky is just an interesting character. He seems to be really interested in, you know, getting uh, attention for the wrong reasons about himself versus then what's right for his country. So I just, you know, I have, um, I don't really know what the objective is there. I just don't trust. And then to even lying to us that somehow Russia would want to sabotage its own pipelines when they already control the flow of the oil to begin with, and they've already shut it on and off as they please. So why would they blow it up when they can just turn it off and be like, yeah, you're not getting it right now. So I like none of it makes sense to none me. None of it. And um, you know, you're the you're more of a foreign, you're the uh, foreign policy guy. So I, I don't know what the end ah. objective is, but I got you know I've got questions, Sean. This is what upsets me so much about this because it feels like we just made all of these mistakes in Iraq and Afghanistan. And we saw what happened when we pulled out of Iraq. It created a vacuum that ISIS filled, right? We saw, I mean, Afghanistan was an absolute disaster in every way. And we still have Americans there. And yet the Biden administration has seemed to move on to Ukraine, where there is a distinct lack of clarity on what the mission is, what the end state is, who the enemy is. I mean, of course, it's Putin. Putin's a thug. I I don't like him. No Republican likes him. But like, I think that the American people, after having experienced 20 years of war, are entitled to have some questions answered about one, where their taxpayer dollars are going. But and more importantly, are we sending America's sons and daughters into the fight to bleed and die for this country? And it's that cavalier attitude towards war. And I see these blue checks on Twitter talk about it all the time. Well, we should be putting boots on the ground and and like escalating this conflict and putting Americans in danger. It just drives me crazy because there's not even a mission. There's not even an end state. Everything that you just outlined, Lisa, I feel like we never even had those questions answered about Iraq and Afghanistan. And we saw what happened with with end state operations in those countries. And I feel like we're just making the same mistakes over again with Ukraine. And only it's far more dangerous because you're talking about Russia, which has a conventional military. You know, our military has been has evolved over the last 20 years to specifically face a counterinsurgency and anti-terror threat. Our brigade combat teams have been structured to face that threat. And now Russia is a conventional military with conventional battalions, infantry battalions, armor battalions, air defense artillery. Like the Afghans didn't have air defense artillery. If American air power flew into Ukraine or flew into Russia, or God forbid a conflict escalated to where we had Americans on the line over there, lives on the line, 
We've never faced a conventional country with air defense before. Like, how are we ready for that? We just had two Navy ships crash into one another in the Pacific Ocean. It's the Pacific Ocean. Like, you talk about woke ideology sort of, like, finding its way into the ranks of our military. and It's sort of, I think, no question it's hurt our readiness. But it just seems like our political leaders are, are marching us down another path to war where basic fundamental questions about that war haven't been answered, nor have they even been that those topics been discussed or debated on the House or the Senate floors. Well, I think, you know, even when I was a kid, I, if I was told to do something, I was like, well, why? You know, like, what's the reasoning? Behind, you know, like, well, what's, what's, exactly. What's, exactly. what's the why, right? And like, they've not really explained the why with Ukraine or, you know, and then what's weird, too, is like Putin is, or with, uh, you know, Biden saying that uh, Putin is like a thug. And, you know, I think he pretty much called for regime change previously. But then simultaneously has leaned on Putin and Russia to negotiate a nuclear deal with Iran, the world's largest state sponsor of terrorism. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, well, which one is it? Is it is he like this, you know, criminal thug uh, that we need to get rid of and have regime change, but you're simultaneously relying on him to negotiate something of such magnitude. So it's like, it also just doesn't really make sense. But like at the bottom of it, which we all know is just weakness, right? Like Joe Biden, is just a coward. Like the man has no principles. He has no morals. He's not rooted in anything. He doesn't even believe in anything. He would change his mind tomorrow if it served his interest. And he's also just really dumb and probably senile as well. You know, so you, you have like the worst combination. And so yeah, so like if you're like Putin, like Putin, Putin didn't do this under Trump. You know, like exactly. And, yeah, and like when you have weakness, it's like it creates chaos uh, because. You know, why wouldn't people take you're going to shoot your shot when you've got someone like him in office? Mm -hmm. So I have to ask you, and I don't want to keep you over time, um, and I, uh, but where where does our country go from here? What what does 2024 look like? I mean, obviously, President Trump is running. It looks like Ron DeSantis is going to jump in. Uh, it looks like Mike Pompeo is going to run. Uh, it looks like there's going to be a knockdown, drag out Republican primary. Is that what's best for America? And where do Republicans go from here? Like, how do yeah. we save this country? I don't think that a coronation is a good thing. I think that uh, I agree. primary is actually probably healthy and we want the best person because, you know, there's a lot of underestimating of Joe Biden. And look, he's a fool. He's destroyed the country. He's all these things. But we're not in a fair fight. Like the system exactly. is gamed against us. We look at the media is gamed against us. The FBI literally rigged the 2020 election. Democrats appended the entire political process with mail-in ballots you know, via COVID, a virus that's basically as deadly as the flu, they changed the entire game where now it's no longer about earning votes. It's just about getting ballots. So we're not in a fair fight, you know? And, and so like, I, I think that there's so little room for error. Like we have to almost have the perfect candidate. You know, like we, we don't get to make mistakes like the Democrats. We can't hide our guy in the basement like they did with Joe Biden. Like you have to run a flawless campaign. You have to be ruthless. And, you know, we need the best of the best. So I think a, a messy primary is healthy and we need it. And then in regard to the Republican Party as a whole, I, I just think like each American needs to realize that the country that we have loved, that we have known is, you know, maybe changed forever. Right. And so we got to hang on to what we have. And like our founding fathers were brilliant 
and the way that they devise the country or constitution, the checks and balances, First Amendment, giving us the ability to have guns, right? Like even with the Second Amendment. So I think each American needs to stand up for their beliefs and and to to fight their own fight, right? Within their communities, to to try to change minds, to speak up when they see something that is wrong, Uh, you know, speak up in their communities, put pressure on your local legislators, you know, put pressure on your, you know, the state and house, state legislatures, your governor, and, and, you know, really realize that, like, the time to stand up is now, and, like, we're blessed with the way our founding fathers, uh, you know, provided in the layout of the nation and devising that, that we can do this in a peaceful way, but, like, the fight is now in, in, in being rooted in your beliefs, standing up for what you believe, and, you know, realizing that we might not have the ability to speak out in the near future, and so, you know, now is the time. Damn, you have me fired up. The fight is now. The, f- the fight is now. I mean, it, you're exactly right. You know, you can't stand on the sidelines anymore. And uh, Lisa, thank you so so much for 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 joining me and and being one of my first guests on on this show. I mean, you're so smart. You're such a warrior. Keep being a warrior. Um, and if you're watching this podcast, or you're listening to this podcast, obviously watch Lisa on Fox. She's a mainstay there. She's a hell of a host. Uh, hopefully Fox and Friends brings you on for something more. I mean, you almost had that wave down when you were surfing and to do it all in <laughs> heels. That's also that an added layer of difficulty that I don't think I'm ca- I obviously so, can't do. Uh, so embarrassing about that. So when you're in it, well, first of all, I think the clock started before, like, uh, or no, I, I the, the machine, the machine, the surfboard started, the, it started moving before they started the clock. But when I was on it, I'm like, oh man, I crushed that. I was on it for forever. And then watching the clip back, it literally looked like I was on it for a second. And then like, yeah, you're <laughs> off. Yeah, you were off it for, yeah. But it, but look, I, I watched that. I'm like, oh damn, is she going to do that in heels? But you did. Um, you did. You're an American so, hero. So I, you know, uh, Sean, you are the reason why this country is free to the extent we are. And you are quite literally an American hero willing to put uh, your life on the you. line for this country. So, uh, you know, God bless you, man. You're the best. So I appreciate well, what you've done for this country. Well, you're welcome. You're worth it. This country's worth it. Um, yeah. Thank you for joining us, Lisa. God bless you. And God bless this great country that we get to call home. So, and I hope your podcast is a massive success. So, <laughs> thanks, Lisa. Thank you. All right. Bye, everyone. Take care. Okay, everybody. That's it. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to my YouTube channel and wherever you listen to podcasts. The more subscribers we get, the more shows we can do for you. So, join the ranks of the platoon. Follow me on Twitter at Sean Parnell USA and on Facebook and on Instagram and send me your comments. I read them all. Share screenshots of the podcast. I'll share them to my social media. Leave reviews for me because obviously that helps too. And as always, I am truly grateful for your support. Thank you for joining me. God bless you all and may God bless this incredible nation we get to call home. Thank you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. 
Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information.